Good evening. Any questions tonight? If possible. About cows or about Vritrasura? <laughs> about cows? Vritrasura. What about cows? No, why cows? Why Krishna has everything? Why he Right. Something very special about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. The word uh, for cows, go is um, has a number of meanings. It also means earth. It also is a way of referring to the Veda. Hmm. <clears throat> and in the Veda, the earth is a special place. And um, on earth, cows are special animals. And from a very practical point of view, cows are very special because... They, along with other animals, but to a greater extent, mark the civil uh, civilization of human society in the sense, of course it depends what worldview you're you're looking at it, but looking at it from a modern point of view, um, humans moved from hunting and gathering to agrarian life. And um, for that matter, even in in a, a, um, a Puranic type of worldview, you, you do have hunters and gatherers as well. And... Um, the taming of them, if you will, is very much uh, assisted by cows, by animals from the wild that have the potential to be domesticated. And one of the reasons that they have the potential to be domesticated is because of the bounty through such domestication that they bring to human society and the protection that the human society brings to them, which exceeds their own capacity to uh, protect uh, and uh, defend themselves. So, for example, if you are living by hunting, then if you kill an animal... For the winter, you can live off the carcass to some extent. But if rather than killing a cow or an animal that can be domesticated like a cow, and a cow includes the bull, then instead of hunting and gathering, you can till the soil hmm, with the help of the domesticated animals, the cow, by yoking him to the plow, for example. And then you can produce more grain um, and food in quantity than simply by deriving food from the, from the body 
the dead body of the animal. So, um, working with animals that can be domesticated requires greater use of intelligence upon human society and a a kinder approach uh, to life. Um, So, again, from hunting and gathering to agrarian life is the shift from um, from living more or less amongst the animals to living what's called a civilized life where suddenly the human becomes a caretaker of animals rather than a hunter of animals. And those who are um, susceptible to being cared for and in the context of that providing fruits uh, like milk and, and strength and, and, and so forth, these, these animals in return are protected beyond their own built-in protective system. Hmm? So uh, it's uh, in modern society it's questioned whether the humans domesticated the animals, the cows in particular, or whether the cows domesticated the humans. So they play a very important uh, role in that sense. Hmm? It's very practical. Furthermore, uh, the cow in particular is an animal that gives considerably in greater proportion than it takes. In other words, to feed a cow, you need grass. And cows have the ability to be to nourish themselves from even the most unnourishing fodder. Horses require a very high quality of grass, alfalfa, clover, something like this. That's the market for the alfalfa. But cows, even from... Uh, from grass that cat, that horses cannot get nutrition from, they can get nutrition from it. Of course, if you give cows greater nutrition, they're going to produce more milk. But the point is that they can function, be healthy, and produce perhaps a lesser quantity of milk, but still produce milk um, beyond the capacity of the calf to drink the milk. Just like when we have a calf here. The calf cannot possibly drink the milk of the cow. Hmm. Um, all four teats and so forth. So, so this is kind of a, kind of a, a miracle animal, it's thought, if you will, because again, it's taking or it's eating. Hmm. It requires grass. Grass grows anywhere, even if you don't plant it. Of course, if you plant it and cultivate it, you're going to have better grass and, and so forth. And we as human beings can do that and, and improve the diet, if you will, and make it more nourishing to the cows, which is our role. But the point is, of all things to grow, grass is probably the one of the easier ones. I sometimes say it grows even in between the concrete uh, on its own. So it comes up of its own, um, and, and the cows can eat it. And the miracle 
food is through the grass, the cow transforms its blood into milk. And from milk, you can derive the power, the nourishment from a cow for a longer period of time and in a civilized way, if you will, not at her, the cost of her life, for example, by eating the meat. Um, and also the variety of uh, foods that you can prepare with milk are uh, practically unlimited. We're hearing the uh, uh, um, description of Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami's uh, description of Mother Yasoda's making the menu in the morning for Krishna and Balaram's uh, breakfast. And um, we see from there and from Chaitanya Charitamrita that amongst the Goswamis, he was um, quite a, what would you call it? A culinary, culinary uh, yeah, a culinary uh, expert. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, many, many of the dishes were prepared with... Uh, with milk and with special milk from this particular cow, from Davala, with one type of milk for this type of preparation, from another type of cow, another type of milk for another prep- other preparations and so forth. So they they knew about milk. The gopis, they know about milk. Gopis and gopas, they're, they're milk people. What we know is a little, we're trying to become gopas and gopis and learn everything that's inside of milk. Inside of milk is... Butter is, is is ghee is is burfi and the list goes on and on yogurt and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so with great in great variety for the for the tongue, if you will, and a considerable amount, um, a very uh, nutritious source of food. That's um, that the cost of which to make is very little in comparison. That's the idea. So, given that, uh, cows are looked at primarily as givers rather than takers. Hmm? Givers and providers for human society in exchange for a little protection hmm? um, from the wild hmm? and and supplying food rather than having the have to forage and find it and maybe go hungry sometimes and so forth. Um, that way their milk increases and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so uh, seen in this way as givers, then we can understand why Krishna is uh, depicted uh, with cows, conceived of, and I should say experienced Mystically, by the by, the sages pursuing this extraordinary idea of love of God and intimacy, um, experienced as as every young adolescent youth is the most beautiful time coming coming out of childhood, coming into adolescence before entering into adulthood. Uh, everyone looks their best. Hmm. You can see people on the Facebook that put their adolescent picture up there <laughs> oftentimes. So they look their best at this time. So Krishna represents everything, in a sense, that's beautiful, everything that is desirable. Youth, the most desirable commodity. Everybody wants the youth. The children, the parents want to keep them young. The schools want to take them and educate them. The corporations want them. The military wants them. Everyone wants the youth. So youth is very attractive. 
and it's very uh, beautiful. Hmm. So the Godhead has been experienced by the mystics as the epitome of, or the essence of, the concentrated form of everything that uh, is um, uh, uh, beautiful, attractive, desirable. Now there are things that are attractive and desirable, of course, that are not um, not really beautiful. That's material life, so we don't include those things. But the core things that people are uh, that are, are attracted to, therefore, the very name of the Godhead, given or experienced by the and and and, um, and um, revealed in the sacred text, Krishna means all attractive. So we can say wealth, strength, beauty, fame, knowledge, and renunciation. These six opulences, Parashara has given them, and said, "You know, this is Bhagwan, who possesses all opulences, who is all attractive, who is God." But if you play out these opulences, the implication is that everything that is attractive, beautiful, desirable—he uh, is the distilled essence in the very form. If beauty could have a form, if youth could have a an ultimate form, and so forth, for example. This is Krishna, right? And so, um, <clears throat> I mean, the world is, is thought to be some kind of reflection, right? His Shakti, uh, the Maya Shakti. So there's a Nirdarshan. It's like the world is a... Like Krishna's, Krishna's Leela in the world is a Nirdarshan. It's an approximation of... And the descriptions are an approximation of that which is beyond speech, beyond word, beyond thought, hmm? and um, appearing in human society in different ways, in different places, different manifestations of the Godhead. But Krishna, uh, the, the the Earth's fullest—I don't want to say India's, but the Earth's fullest expression of the Godhead—and the Earth is a special place. In the universe, we may say, Swami, Earth is not the center. The Sun is the center. It, but depends how what, what you how you look at that. Uh, there are, of course, different ways to look at it from a point of view of physics and astronomy and so forth, or or just what's the center, hmm. right? Hmm. What uh, what's the center for, for 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 human society? It's love, love driven. Uh, more than intellect-driven, it has the capacity, unlike the less complex forms of life, to make sacrifices and give. So it has the capacity to to think. And if it thinks well enough that it uses its head, it will use it to soften its heart and love and give and so forth. So so you can see that Krishna is, is, um, as experienced and described in the Veda, is very... Um, uh, much uh, kind of tied to the to the essence of the human experience and the potential that human life causes us to feel life could be like there could be a perfect world we feel that in human society and we live for at every moment really for perfections for exceeding the limitations of our present 
humanity because the Atma doesn't have those limitations and it's coming to the foreground in human society. And, and to fully answer to the potential of the Atma, that is, what do we mean by Krishna? He answers to the full potential hmm, to love. So, so that being the case, then he's surrounded by cows who are amongst the animals, um, domestic animals, and the most, um, um, Amongst the animal, domestic animals, the uh, the richest, uh, the the greatest uh, givers, if you will, um, and and they exemplify the very idea of bhakti, which is about giving. So, uh, bhakti in bhakti, we are asked to give without expectation of return. So without uh, attaching any motive of getting to the giving, and we are taught uh, about that center to which one can give unlimitedly because the center has the capacity to reciprocate. Hmm? So that you can experience the fact that the giving is the getting when the giving is without motivation and it's centered on Krishna. Just like if you give to the stomach, then all the parts of the body will be nourished. Hmm? So we have to find that center and we have to give to the center without expectation of return, and we'll find that the giving itself is a return. So, so we're asked to give. He's surrounded by cows that are the most giving animals, as I'm explaining, so appropriately so. And if we ask that if I give completely, who will take care of me? If I give everything, who will take care of me? Of course, the answer is Gopal. He protects the cows, <laughs> who are givers. And Golok, Svetadweep. Svetadweep means white island. It's surrounded by milk. Milk is, is, is thought to be the, the affection of the cows in liquid form, right? When the cows... When the, um, uh, knows the calf wants to milk, then it has a muscle in it or something that lets down the milk, right? Without that, you, you can't get it down. You could, you could do it forcefully by injecting something, but, but by affection's force it will come naturally, right? So, Goloka and even other parts of the Paravyom are very much uh, described um, uh, as abodes of affection. Hmm? They are... Here we're constrained by forms, it would appear, so we want to go to the formless, get beyond the limitations of the form. But if we start to go into the formless world of the Atma, so to speak, hmm? and then turn to Brahman, if we go deeper into Brahman, we start to see forms again. But these are not forms that are a limitation because they are, these are forms of affection. Love has a shape by which it expresses itself. Krishna is the full form of love. Hmm. Radha is Mahabhav Sarupani, the fullest form of love. Krishna is the perfect object of love. But they're both forms of love, right? Hmm. So we 
ent- are entering now into a world of forms. We go to the Narayan's world, forms of love there. Go to Krishna's world, it's getting s- smaller. By going to look smaller than Brahman, it looks local. Goloka looks even smaller than Vrindavan, even smaller. But it's big because there's an increase of affection. The forms there are more affectionate. Hmm? But as we go from, there's no milk in Brahman, but if we go to to Parabrahman, to Narayan, to Vaikuntha, to Goloka, then we'll find milk and describe this. Uh, Vishnu's planet is surrounded by an ocean of milk. Uh, Krishna's uh, abode, it's overflowing with milk there, uh, pouring milk when Krishna was growing pearls in Muktachari to Raghunathas Goswami. He asked the gopis for their milk to water the water the pearls that he was growing. Usually don't grow pearls, but with milk from Goloka it's possible. Hmm. So milk is the liquid affection of the cows that are givers. So these are um, in this sense uh, metaphors hmm, for describing a, a world uh, of love, affection, beauty, charm, and so forth. And the world is experienced hmm, tangibly hmm, in, that, uh, in that way. In other words, um, it's not a physical manifestation. It's a meditative manifestation. And that meditative world, of course, is the real world. This material world is really all physical world, if you will, is all driven by by mind, and mind has the capacity to be a driving force because of the nature of the Atman, its proximity to the mind. And and sound is thought to be the vehicle by which the Atma moves the mind and the mind the body. And this, this, there are four levels of sound described in, in Bhagavatam, for example. But... Um, not to go too far into that. Um, the point is that the, when we say it's a meditative world, it doesn't make it less real, it makes it more real. Hmm? This is a world that's is driven by mind, mind's driven by atma. Um, and uh, so the activating force is the self when it becomes fully... Um, uh, Freed, I was freed, I should say, from identification with matter, and that, by way of connection with bhakti, Krishna through bhakti, then it has the greatest prospects. So there's a real world there, and then what we we trying to talk about it uh, by, uh, I mean, when we say cows and when we say milk and so forth, we think of ordinary cows and ordinary milk. They're they're they're, they're more than that. Something like that. More than that. That's why, for example, the cows are also described, the word go also means Veda. So the cows are described as the personification of the Vedic mantras. Hmm. Which I guess you could say in a simplistic way are, are givers, but they are also embedded in the world, uh, if you will, these sounds hmm, by which you can know, by which you can, by which the world comes into manifestation, by which one can leave the world. And of course, the, amongst all the sounds, the most complete is the two-syllable sound, Krishna, who's surrounded by the Vedas. Hmm. All the Vedas are pointing in the direction of Krishna. He says, Aham sarva What is the verse? He says, Vedanta krid veda videvat chaham. 
the fifteenth chapter of the Gita, of all the Vedas, I am to be known. I, indeed, I am the compiler of the Vedanta. Vedanta is, this, is a book that tells what the Vedas mean, right? The Vedanta Sutra, the Brahma Sutras. Krishna is identifying himself as, as the author of Vyas and the subject of the Vedas. So as much as the Vedas are described as uh, Vedic mantras, cows are the personification of the Vedic mantras, then there's a world, just, just like um, Plato believed, for example, that, that there were mathematical equations embedded in the world hmm, and that they had in their own world it was beyond the physical world where the mathematical equations existed as entities. They're entities. So to give a little bit of a Western, uh, it's about as close as the West gets to the East, Greece and India in ancient times, Plato, and you know you had that, that neo, neo, Neoplatonism really was Platon, Plato's sensibilities, philosophical sensibilities, Influenced by Vedanta from India, hmm. that's pretty clear. Um, so, at any rate, uh, something like that—that that there's a world beyond time and space, and its uh, sounds uh, personified. So, the depth of the Vedic mantra—if you could get to the depth of the Ved, you could find it was a cow. <laughs> And, uh, and find yourself uh, you could, in, in the pasture with uh, with Krishna and Balaram. So uh, something like that. Um, some thoughts about uh, cows, and of course, you know, we take care of cows in this world, and and they are. You could say, well, they're just uh, jivas with the karma of being a cow, and so. On. But we find that some of them come to the temple. They become temple cows, hmm? so their whole lives are living, giving milk for the for the deity and so forth. So they're very special, special kind of cow. And there are other animals here, like peacock and so forth. They come, they came of their own. So these are special um, jivas in those those bodies for reasons of their gradual spiritual evolution. They have a good position. In this life, but at any rate, so we, we we take care of care of our cows. We don't look at them as ordinary jivas with karma from the world, but we look at them as Krishna's cows and Dedi's cows. And this is this is a, again a near darshan, an approximation of Goloka, just like we're reading in the morning. And uh, and uh, under my year, the cook. So you must have been like, oh, this is pretty interesting. Here, that's exactly what I'm doing in the morning on a very small scale. After I left after the reading, I told. Earlier, we need about you know ten cooks and about ten pujaris <laughs> to do this right, right? <laughs> to take care of the deity properly here. Right? So one time um, after Prabhupada opened the Krishna Balaram Temple, which was a huge, huge uh, event for him, because that was his, he considered his home, Vrindavan. He said his office was in Bombay and his place of worship was in Navadweep. And his home was in Vrindavan, his residence. So worship in Navadweep, live in Vrindavan. And so he it was from Vrindavan that he that he that he came to the West and had success. And so he wanted to celebrate that really by opening the Krishna Balaram temple in Ramanreti, where he got land donated. Hmm? 
which is an area where it said the Krishna and Balaram play in the in the sands hmm, along the bank of the Jamuna. The Jamuna doesn't flow there anymore; it's changed its course. But the, the old riverbed is there. Everyone knows knows it. Um, so, uh, yeah, he got land donated it in Raman Rethi, and uh, appropriately he established the temple of Krishna and Balaram there. There at that time, it was out in the forest. It was it was a dangerous place, comparatively, away from the city. Now it's all built up and whatnot. But but anyway, after opening the temple, Prabhupada wanted 25 sannyasis living there as residents, taking care of the deities and the temple. He had expressed that on more, more than one occasion. But then other priorities come and so forth, because he had a big mission and so forth. But these type of sensibilities, you'd, you'd hear them from Prabhupada every now and then. These are the kind of things that you want to pick up on when you when you look towards something that he, from time to time, spoke of uh, 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 boiling the milk was his metaphor. Hmm. Um, uh, we have enough devotees. Let's boil the milk and. Uh, and uh, make them be- that concentrate on making them better devotees, and so which was the emphasis of Pujapatridomarsh when he said, "Do relief work for the devotees, some of who need, need relief. They're uh, maybe uh, uh, anyway, they, they need help and association and so forth." So, uh, uh, so again, what, what, all these activities, the temple activities, they are. Um, they're like, like an approximation of Golok. It's, uh, we have the, or the realm of ritual in the deity worship, and it's fully played out in, in Golok. And Krishna's there eating, and Mother Soda's making the menu every morning, and so on and so forth. So these are not mundane activities. And so we have everything here. Everything's here to be fully Krishna conscious. This is the point. And cows among them, right? And uh, they help us, too, because uh, as monks, we don't have any children, and we can get a little isolated out in the forest, and so they take care of the cows, kind of softens the heart, right? They they have their, uh, have to be taken care of, and and so forth. And, of course, they're good. They're, they're considered mothers, but in a lot of ways, they're like children, but they're, they're quite giving, hmm? faithful. <laughs> So it's uh, it's it's very good um, activity for the for the devotees. It's really a, actually an activity that Jiva Goswami uh, includes within the anga of bhakti, uh, worshiping of sacred trees like the uh, the banyan tree, the fig tree, um, uh, uh, included within that anga of bhakti is uh, feeding cows, scratching their necks. When the cows are pleased, Krishna is pleased. It's a, so it's a very beautiful uh, anga limb of the body of bhakti, yeah, especially in today's world where, where the cows are so much abused to have a small, at least, facility to take care of a few. It's a great service, great opportunity for us. So those are a few words. On cows, does that help? Yes. <laughs> so it's not like you give milk, feed, and go. 
Room for more what? Some improvements, more clean, more yeah. association, feel. Yeah, you can, you can always improve every, every aspect of what's going on here. But, of course, we live in a communally, so you have to do that in cooperation with others, and everybody has their things that are pressing on them and so forth. If we had 25 sannyasis, then there would be no problem here. <laughs> We're waiting for that to happen. Yeah. Waiting for 25 sannyasis to show up, but then we can. Yeah. So, what else? Yes. Um, the Bhagavatam describes uh, Krishna's avatars as asamkya. I was wondering if you could kind of give you an explanation of that term, like what you got from it. Well, the word asamkya means uh, uncountable. So. It basically means that there are innumerable faces of the Godhead who appears um, in different forms in response to different types of bhakti, as he explains in the Gita, and elsewhere as well. So there's the idea that the bhakti corresponds with the form of God. And there are all kinds of bhakti. So there's mixed bhakti. So for mi- with mixed bhakti, bhakti mixed with gyan, the face of Brahman is there, for example. There are higher forms of, uh, of God also that correspond with, with um, gyan mixed with bhakti, where bhakti becomes the better part of the equation and so forth. So Within our Vedic uh, texts, if you will, within the Bhagavatam, um, which is the essence of them, we find quite a um, uh, varied, quite a quite a uh, broad description of different uh, spiritual possibilities and religious possibilities and corresponding forms or faces of the Godhead. Um, but, uh, in given the basic, uh, a, a list of a number of them, the Bhagavatam wants to make the point that this list is not exhaustive. In one sense, nothing about the Godhead is exhaustive. We cannot exhaustively describe his qualities his leelas, or his forms in which he makes appearance. Even Krishna himself has unlimited forms. Sometimes he dresses up like a gopi. Even, uh, and that you hear one or two descriptions. Those are the only times or the only ways he has a, he's uh, all types of uh, appearance, even within the leela, you can say. Krishna has unlimited forms, which he appears within his unlimited leelas to which correspond with the necessity of the of the time and the leela and so forth of course beyond that then then there are many uh forms krishna Matura, and dwarka these are just like outline basically and then you have narayan the avatars and so forth books like lagu bhagavatamrita rupa goswami go and take the basic uh, outline 
given in other texts and then analyze them all um, and in doing so arrive at the conclusion that Krishna is the fountainhead of them all. And so, again, as it is with other things, this is like a skeleton, like an outline, like a concept, and some different avatars are named, and they're named also, they're described in in, in ways that uh, correspond with uh, not only humans, but uh, but uh, other forms of life. So that's also a way of saying, could appear in, uh, in, uh, in other forms of life as well. Possi- this opens the, the possibility. Hmm. Um, and uh, in other cultures, and, uh, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote like that, that he appears in different, doesn't only appear in India, but in other places, going to the Dharma there, and correspondingly, you know, shows himself with archangels or whatever, you know. Um, uh, the uh, the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, which is to, kind of giving the essence of the Bhagavatam, describes so many levels of spiritual possibilities, um, and although there are specifics to those, they're also describing generally a certain kind of religious spiritual conception arrived at by a certain type of practice and so forth. So it's not necessarily limited to those lokas, those those, those realms. The, the, uh, um, unlimited possibility, the material world itself is, 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 is infinite in a number of jivas and places to go, uh, things to do, <laughs> and so forth. So I think that the, the Bhagavatam gives a, a fairly long list, 30 some um, in the third chapter and concludes with uh, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam and then the afterthought and actually they're asankhya, they're unlimited. So it, it, it wants to say what I often say that, that the descriptions, the text itself, um, perfect in one sense but uh, admits its own limitations to adequately uh, speak about that which transcends speech. It's a, it's an interesting concept. Uh, it can speak in unlimitedly and still never adequately describe one one pastime of Krishna. So to have the direct experience beyond uh, speech, beyond sight, beyond thought, like knowing beyond thinking, it's 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 hard for people to kind of grasp that in in some some senses, but uh, it's possible that you could not think very well and know more than the greatest thinkers. It's possible. We even see it in other species when when dogs figure out where their their master is, you know, hundreds of miles away and swims across an ocean and so forth. And he didn't have maps or satellites or GPS or anything like that to figure it all out and to reason about it, but had some way of knowing, right? So it's just a simple example that there are ways of knowing that uh, uh, that uh, don't involve what we ordinarily think is required to know something. And that very thing, reason, for example, and observation, are very limited in their, their capacity to know that point should be made 
as well. And so we have transrational means of knowing, meditation, the stilling of the mind, uh, instead of trying to think it out and figure it out, to stop thinking. Just, how will I know if I stop thinking? Well, that's a whole different um, approach, right? Hmm. And evoking the transcendental sound. And so, so you can have experience and you can know. And, uh, uh, um, uh, so, asankhya is again, it's, a, it's another way of, of trying to say that we're talking, of, the subject here is that something that transcends counting. Counting, measuring, is another to measure is another name of the word for another uh, translation of the word maya to measure. So that's what we do materially as humans. We we try to measure everything to bring it in the grip of our, and then we feel comfortable. I've measured it. I've controlled it. Now I'm comfortable. Hmm. And if you can't control it, you're uncomfortable. But you're supposed to hold your hands up like this and say, "I can't control it." There is a controller, and it's not me. It's Krishna. Hare Krishna. And then you can find comfort within the uncertainty of love. Love has an element of uncertainty. What will happen next? Hmm. Uh, excitement, so to speak. <laughs> uh, uh, so, um, so uncountable, immeasurable. Uh, it's a way of speaking about the nature of these, in a kind of a broad way, of all the avatars. Or you can look at it from a numbers point of view, a more literal explanation of the verse. There's unlimited numbers of of manifestations. There are ones we don't know about that haven't happened yet. There's this, there, you know, the, the explanation of the Shringadev, uh, Bhagavan Nadahari, is that no one had ever seen him before. Right? The gods, and, and he appeared relative to Bhakti Prahlad's necessities, particular necessities of the time and the circumstances. And there he was. So it's, that's also another way of explaining the term, Asankhya. And Lakshmi was, well, I've never seen him like that before. Mm. That's my Narayan, but I've never seen him like that before. Holy cow. <laughs> he's, he's, he's pissed off. <laughs> and he likes that boy, Prahlad. He's got a special position. So... Um, so something like that. Uh, there's an example that never was known before, and at the same time he's eternal and makes a manifestation, manifests himself according to the time and circumstance. So, um, but it's clear at the same time the emphasis is there on that Krishna's two Bhagavan Swami, and then so many explanations of why Krishna is the fountainhead of all expressions of divinity. It's very down to earth. It's very practical explanation um, and very much one that works I would say with our human uh, sensibilities and, and um, a sense of uh, of beauty and love and and uh, creativity I mean you talk about God the creator look at the world that Krishna's the love of Radha and Krishna's created and we read the descriptions of that we think this is, this is an incredible world. Some states it looks fantastic, but, but in love, all things are possible, right? In love, all the faults, your faults become the ornaments. Hmm. 
it has the power to convert hmm, inauspicious things into auspicious things. It's uh, so. As we speak about it like this, you can see that the, the Bhagavatam and these these uh, supplementary texts and so forth, the Goswamis, they're not talking about anything but it's things that we already accept, we already agree with, we already have experience of. That love has a capacity, even a shadow of the love, if you will, right? It, it has a capacity to uh, 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 bring about you know, uh, miracles, hmm. uh, the, the power of, 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 of love. I saw once, uh, some time ago, a short video of these guys, young kids, were playing baseball, and, um, and there was one kid who was like the, kind of like the mascot on the team, but he, he was, had some type of physical defect. They couldn't actually play. And uh, forget how it all worked out, but somehow he was there with his father, and he said, "You know, can I hit something like that?" And he caught the attention of everybody, and it was the last inning, and uh, the team that was on the field was about to win. They needed like one more out, and they would have won the championship. Something like that, but by the circumstances, the kid was they, the kid got the attention, and so everybody made way for him, and they brought him to the plate to hit. Hmm? And of course, he's easy out. <laughs> but the pitcher walked up and threw it real easy, and the kid hit it and just went a few feet. Then he ran, you know, to the base, and the pitcher threw it so that it would be, you know, so that the other guy would miss it. Then he missed it purposely, and the kid ran to second base. The second baseman overthrew it, and at the whole field cooperated, right? And the kid hit a home run, and the other team won. Hmm? The kid's team won, right? But the, lo- the losing team, from a mathematical point of view, was the obvious winner to the entire audience, the bigger, the bigger winner. So sometimes losing mathematically it constitutes winning, hmm? right? Where sometimes you have these Olympic races or some some type of race like that, and the runner falls, hmm? and then doesn't win, but keeps running, even with a broken leg, to finish the race, something like that. And it becomes the bigger story, right, than the person that actually won. Hmm? Um and maybe that's not the best example, but anyway, the 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 the, the point is that that um, at least with the the baseball story is a better example. Uh, that um, anyway, the, the, there's more to life than the math of 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 winning, what it constitutes to win, and 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 then giving, which love is about, has a can change the whole equation. Hmm? So we have some limited experience of that. That's really what excites, that's what makes the headlines, these kind of things, right? Those kind of videos that keep circulating around and go viral. There are other ones too, they're weird, but I mean, but I mean, these are the, uh, these are moments that humans celebrate and so forth. Um, so, um, a world where 
the ideas where where such um, uh, where that um, sensibility is the norm it drives everything and so there's all kinds of extra, so therefore Krishna can grow pearls by watering them with milk from the cows and and you can call it a myth story of some superstition or something or you can understand hmm, that it's it's really what what uh, we sense uh, life has the possibility uh, to be that's what it's talking about hmm? and um, it can be the more that uh, it mystically arises out of out of giving because the thought would be well if you give you're going to have less but if you give, you're going to have more, hmm? mystically, right, and, and be bigger and kinder and bigger in a different, in a different, qualitatively, so forth. So this is what's being described in in the texts. Hmm? So those are some thoughts on asankhya, not countable, hmm? all possibilities, anything possible can't. Contain it, control it, limit it. What else? Um, on Sanatana Goswami's appearance day, um, I was touched when you were talking about the idea of Sangha that he experienced his relationship with his god brothers. And so I've been thinking about that and wondering. Um, how you would envision at this level that we might relate to one another through Sangha in order to reach that goal? Well, uh, the good way is to, is to hear about those stories of the uh, advanced devotees associated with one another and, and respect one another and so forth. And of course, the idea is that we have something that transcends our differences and idiosyncrasies, our cultural differences, our our gender differences, um, um, uh, and so forth. And uh, to uh, keep that in the forefront and the primary, um, in one sense, manifestation of that is the person of the guru or the sadhu and, and so forth, that... You know, the, 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 sometimes prep would give the example that the, you're all massaging my body. It's the same body, you know. So, if, yeah. Somebody's massaging the head. Somebody's massaging the foot, and, and you got to see the whole the whole whole picture, something like that. Um, so you, there's no question. There's no point of fighting. We're both doing the same thing. <laughs> I'm massaging his hand. You're massaging his foot. Why are you fighting with me? You know, um, and. Um, I think it's important to see also the the in communal living, the goings on of the ashram and so forth, the different services that they have a purpose behind them. We want to do them right and so forth and so on, but they have a purpose, a deeper purpose beyond the act itself, so to speak, that uh, uh, that they seek to to bring about within us. That's why sometimes new 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 devotees come, and older devotees are telling them, "Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that." And there's some point to that. It's important because we do it a certain way and so forth. But um, uh, 
sometimes so-called older devotees identify more with the technique of doing it than, than the spirit of it, so they don't convey the, the, the method in a way that is digestible by a newer devotee. And then the newer devotee thinks, oh, my, there's just, just so, many, so many rules and so forth. More advanced devotee will be able to say, see, it's happening here more gradually. And the rules are important, and how to do it right is, of course, important if you are sincere and so forth. But to be sincere is, 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 uh, is uh, an, an essential, if you will, in your orientation is the most important thing. Everything will come from that. So, um, I mean, this is a a, a a place for apprenticeship for for such things. But I think that, as I said in the beginning, hearing the stories of the of the devotees and and their their feelings for one another and so forth, and this is very powerful. And you, then you think, this we want to create a world like this, and so I have to do my part, hmm. right? I have to do my part and um, make an effort and others who are sincere will will see that and be inspired. Anything else? I have a question um, from Cousin Alpham Maharaj. In essence, uh, is there a difference between Swarupananda and Bhakti Ananda? I want some clarification on those two terms. Well, yeah, there's uh, uh, the, the terms you should use: Swarupananda and Swarup Shakti Ananda. Swarup Shakti is is Bhakti. Swarupananda is the is the Ananda inherent in Krishna as form, he's Satchitananda. So Krishna is Satchitananda. Within him also is the Ladini Shakti. When it manifests, hmm, this, this Swarup Shakti, I should say, Ladini, which is the essence, the Swarup Shakti manifests as Radha, or in the manifestation of the Swarup Shakti as Radha, this, you now have this Swarup Shakti manifest separately from his own form. And this Swarup Shakti has the power to give he who has Swarupananda pleasure. When that Swarup Shakti is within him, he can't take advantage of it in the way that he can when it's manifest separately and and re- reflects back on him. So that Srup Shakti Ananda has the power to give pleasure to Krishna in a way that when it's dormant or inherent in him, it cannot. So he has Swarup Ananda. He's experiencing the Ananda of his Swarup. But the, the, the Swarup Shakti Ananda, he's not experiencing until it manifests, for example, as Radha. And there's a little Radha in every devotee. So that, so. This coming back, um, um, and the interplay affords him experience of something that's inherent in him that he wouldn't know otherwise. Hmm. So, 
Sarup Shakti Ananda is a greater Ananda, if you will, when all Ananda is unlimited. So, uh, do the math on that, but a uh, world beyond such math that we have to talk about it um, has a, a, a greater, uh, it's more, more Ananda. Therefore, it, it attracts Krishna. Krishna is all attractive, right? But Krishna is attracted to to bhakti. And the fullest manifestation of bhakti is Radha. She's Mahabhava Swarupani. So, the, so that's that's something in himself. They're they're one, right? But this aspect of himself that he can't take advantage of alone, so to speak, manifests as too something like that. Just like. Uh, different examples are given sometimes to try to. Uh, none of them I've heard. None of them I've heard are really perfect. But sometimes the example is given: that sugar can't taste itself. It's sweet, but it can't taste itself, so it manifests externally. Then it can. Or the flute. The flute is nothing but the sound of the breath, right? But if you go inside of the reed. The sound, the same breath, but it's making a fantastic sound, right? Hmm. Right, so the breath is there in Krishna. Hmm. But when it blows into the flute, so I guess you'd say Radha is the sound of the, uh, when it blows into the flute. So the vehicle, she is the vehicle for that Swarupananda, Subshakti Ananda to, um, to express itself, uh, so uh, you need Swarupananda, you need Swarup Shakti Ananda for for Rasa, and that makes the complete whole. So we don't say any of these things happen, you know, in time. There was only Krishna, then there was Radha, they're eternal. But the Swarup Shakti Ananda has the power to attract Krishna, so it has more power. If if it wasn't so. Krishna be content by himself, right? Yeah, but he's not Sarup Shakti Ananda, Sarup Ananda, and Sarup Shakti Ananda. So Krishna and Radha, Krishna and Bhakti. Bhakti really, there's so much one. It's hard to talk about its differences. The very person of Krishna is really. Dependent in one sense upon this, this Rupa Shakti Ananda. But anyway, this is the point. Here's a difference. Yes. All right, we'll stop there. Shri Shri Gaur Nitananda Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki And from that, of course, uh, the, the talks have been transcribed and other books of his talks have been been published and um, his uh, small uh, mat um, has become known and it's uh, has saddle uh, around the world has satellites around the world of the work of his successor Bhaktisundar um, Gobindamaraj uh, Fulfilling a poem that he wrote, a a 
a line of which was either put on or about the flag of Sri Chaitanya Saraswat Mat. It's flowing around all over the world, and their bodies were thinking, it's kind of only right here, you know, we're a small group, and Guru Mercy, and it's all over the world. But it was a predictive type of a poem, and ultimately, um, by Krishna's arrangement, and Prabhupada's arrangement, really, it did um, flow around um, the world. And, but, but he's so much of a, a disinterested person in terms of being in the limelight and, and so forth. You have to work at it, you know, to to um, put that uh, uh, his position in perspective. And of course, there's been a lot of propaganda, unfortunately, against him by persons who misunderstood his position and, and contribution, and even defended him. So, so we have some work to do to uh, represent and glorify him, and 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 make known. Um, um, more widely, the uh, significant uh, contribution that he made. I've likened him in a poem of my own to the setting of the uh, to the moon that appeared after the setting of the sun of Prabhupada's blazing uh, campaign. Right, uh, it was like the full sun shedding light all over the world on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's contribution, and the moon. Has, has, its light is a reflective light. It reflects as the sun sets, then it's, it lights up the moon, isn't it? So, a reflective light under which, under the influence of which, we were caused to reflect on that campaign of Prabhupada and what was the significance, what are the implications, what was, ultimately, what was fueling it, what what were the feelings of Prabhupada, what were, they were fueling it, what was, the, what was his ananda, Hmm. Krishna Nananda, hmm. the, 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 um, the inner life of our our Gurudev and so forth. So very much a, a also Pujapad Sridharmarsh fulfilling a stated um, ambition of Prabhupada that his disciples would boil the milk, to use this metaphor, and internalize to some extent and. Uh, um, and uh, with introspection that is a part of bhakti um, uh, focus on um, inner growth and not just outreach which which could be done in a way that becomes counterproductive and uh, Rather than fostering inner growth as it, as it should, so uh, he was a very much um, um, instrumental in in bringing that about in the lives of those who had his uh, auspicious uh, association. So we are very fortunate to be uh, connected with him, and and. Um, <clears throat> Fortunately, on a day like this, to remember him and say a few words in glorification of him. Bhakti Rakshakshidadev Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai. Tirubhav Mahamotsa Bhakti Rakshakshidadev Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai. Shishri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai. Gaur Nitananda Pu Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi.